sure that many of you were wondering the same thing I was wondering the first time I saw that. And it's kind of like, will this guy smile? <laughs> he was here in the last service, and I, I made him stand up. And I know Mike actually quite well. We're good friends, and, and uh, he is a delight and loves Jesus. And it's great to see God finally capture uh, him. Most of us uh, remember the cowboy and Indian movies from yesteryear. I, now, I know it's properly Native Americans, but cowboys and Native Americans doesn't sound exactly quite right. Besides, I, I emailed a friend, new friend born in Oklahoma who has his Native American card, and he said saying cowboys and Indians was fine when referring to movies. He was not personally offended by that. And so, as the Europeans traveled west, in search of land, uh, they often teamed up in, in wagon trains. Uh, the, now, the movies tell us that when attacked by the Indians, uh, the settlers would circle the wagons for protection. <laughs> more, more, more likely, the, they circled the, the wagons to keep their, their livestock uh, contained. But don't confuse me with the facts. Regardless, the, the idiom, circle the wagons, has come to mean when attacked, let's together circle up for protection. Now, the, the, the challenge with circling the wagons is you, you may be protecting yourself, but you're not getting anywhere. You, you're not moving. You're not, you're not arriving at where you started out to go. You're not accomplishing what you set out, what you set out to do. You're just huddled up. Is it possible that that somewhere along the way in, in our journey, the, the, the church huddled up, forgot where she was going and lost her mission. She stopped her movement, her, her forward advance. I had a professor in seminary who suggested that's exactly what happened in the 19th century with the onset of German higher criticism. Now, I won't get into all the technical details of that. It was basically a movement that started in well, Germany um, that began attacking the faithfulness of the biblical text. Uh, they, they said there, was a, there were a lot of historical or, or scientific or copyist or scribal errors, and therefore the Bible was not was not fully reliable, and as a result of that frontal attack on the church and its inspired book, the church did something it had, it had never really done before. It, it, it circled the wagons. It, it went into protection mode. Let's have a holy huddle, and it, and it, it built high walls to, to keep the enemy out. It went on the defensive, and along the way, no, it stopped moving. It forgot its mission. Let's, re let's protect our people and our beliefs rather than plundering theirs. <laughs> now, now, that's not, now, that's not to say there is not a place for apologetics, which is a defense of the faith. Of course there is. But, we, but in doing that, we must not forget the mission. We must not go purely on the defensive and forget the offensive nature of our duty. And when I say offensive, I'm talking offense as opposed to defense. I'm not talking about being offensive as some Christians know how to do. See, we remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. It's, 
that's incredibly interesting to me. Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not overpower, would not prevail against it. Please notice, it is hell that has gates to keep the enemy out. I suppose that, that would be us. It's hell that's supposed to be on the defensive against the offensive advance of the church. We are the ones who are supposed to be advancing against the enemy, capturing souls bound for hell and bringing them into our camp. We're not supposed to circle the wagons and erect walls and go into defensive protection mode. Okay, we, we are supposed to keep the, the enemy out of the church, I suppose. I, I get that. We're, we're supposed to expose error and, and false teachers and, and, and kick them out. We've seen that in 1 Timothy. But as it relates to the, well, to the natives of the world, we're supposed to be on the offensive. I mean, what difference does it make if a bunch of so-called scholars, morons, say you, you can't trust the Bible? Whatever, they're wrong. That is not supposed to change our focus or our mission. We are still supposed to advance. And if they don't believe, if they want to jettison all, then just we move on. The one thing we don't do is circle the wagons. And then I think this led to another challenge in this mission of the church. Is it possible, possible in addition to changing our focus from, from offense to, to defense, that along the way we somehow lost what the, the mission of the church was altogether? Is it possible we've forgotten what it is that we're supposed to be doing? Hey, have we substituted some really good things for the very best thing? What, what do I mean? Lots of discussion about that today, about what the church really is. In fact, the church is really good about fighting about this and discussing whether or not we're doing what we're supposed to do. Well, what is the mission of the church? Okay, if we're not supposed to circle the wagons, if we're not supposed to gather in our holy huddles and keep the bad guys out, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? Again, lots of confusion about that today. And I'm going to suggest that there are lots of things that the church could do. And I'm not going to say should, but lots of things the church could do. Lots of good things. Lots of even biblical things. We've been talking about that over the past few months. God has always had a special place in his heart for, for orphans and widows and, and aliens or strangers, depending on how your translation has it. That is, those without parents and those without husbands and those without Homes, God has always had a special place in his heart for those unable to care for themselves. And then the church has always taken care of those specific groups. Come on, from the very beginning, there have been programs in place to, for example, care for widows. That's what the very first deacons, remember? That's what the very first deacons were all about. The church is the institution in history. Come on, read the history books. The institution in history that, had, that built hospitals and schools and orphanages. They, they operated the food kitchens and, and homeless shelters. They dug wells and provided food for people. They've operated programs to meet the benevolent needs that, that people have. All that to take care of, of the poor that Jesus reminded us we'll always have with us. And, and all of that, now listen to me, all of that is very, very good. And, and those things are are wonderful, and we should be involved in those things. But listen to me, they are not supposed to replace 
the mission. And in fact, I would suggest, I would even argue that they augment the mission. They support the mission, but they are not the mission. Now, we, we use that word mission a lot. We talk about mission trips and, and, and mission fields and mission work. And most churches today have a mission statement. We, we do. And we, we, we've even made up a new word, missional. That's hot. That's cool. That's hip. You want to be a really cool church today? You need to say the word missional about every other sentence. Whatever in the world it means. You might be interested to know that the word mission doesn't actually even appear in the Bible. <laughs> it's, it's actually a Latin word. But, but, but what would you say the mission of the church is? Let me let you noodle that for a minute. What is the mission of the church? Lots of discussion, lots of ideas about that, lots of suggestions. Last week I quoted the Westminster Shorter Catechism that, that said that the, um, the chief end, the, 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 the chief duty of man is to glorify God and, and enjoy Him forever. And so someone said, well, that, that's the mission of the, of the church. And, and glorify God and enjoy Him. And then we, well, then we remember, Paul said, whatever it is that you do, whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. And so that makes it sound like that whatever we do, even if we're eating and drinking, that's their mission. Yay! Could have been some Baptist churches to do that. Can we be a little bit more specific? How do we bring glory to God? So others would suggest, well, Jesus said the first two commandments are to love God and, and love people. So that, well, that's our mission. First, we need to, to love God, and second, we need to lo love people. Whatever that means, you can define that however you want. Provides all kinds of opportunity for interpretation. Fill in the blank. How is it that you want to love people? Okay, do that. Doing the mission. And then we remember Paul said that we are loving people by fulfilling the law. And, and, and so by not doing certain things to them, don't lie to them, don't steal from them, don't cover what they have, and don't murder them, certainly, then you're loving them, there you are, that's the mission. So be a good person at work and, and in your neighborhood, and don't kill people, and there you go, you fulfilled the mission. Is that it? Well, you say, well, of course not. Others would say, it's not just not doing certain things. It is doing certain things, namely good works. And so the mission of the church is fulfilled by doing good to our neighbors. Especially, they say, doing good to the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the disadvantaged, the overlooked. And so a big part of the church today focuses on what has been called... Social justice, taking care of the, the ills of people. Some are quick to point to some such verses as Luke chapter 4, where Jesus is in his hometown, and he goes to the synagogue, and they hand him the book, and they say, read from it, and he turns to Isaiah 61. Now, now keep this in mind, he turned, this is the text that he selected. He opened the book down the place where it was written. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. There, there you go. And recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's the mission. That's it. 
Never mind that nowhere in the New Testament do we find Jesus actually freeing a prisoner. And so it's okay. Um, closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, all the eyes of the city were fixed on him. And he began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And see, some say we are, about, we are to be about taking care of poor people. And we do that through, you know, food and clean water and building shelters or places for them to live. We're supposed to be about setting captives and the oppressed free, like those in slavery or in poverty or sex trafficking. We're supposed to provide freedom, whether it's social or, hey, racial injustice. We, we are supposed to be providing recovery um, uh, of sight to the blind. That means we're we should be providing medical resources for people around the world. That's our mission, right? Now listen, I, I actually agree with all that to, to a point. Don't, do not leave, please, do not leave here saying that Scott is opposed to caring for people. Not, I do not say that. I am, let me just go ahead. This is recorded, so there we go. Everybody can hear it. I'm all for a world medical mission. And the projects department at Samaritan's Purse that provide care, for example, for people misplaced in hurricanes and tsunamis. I, I think we ought to, ought to do that. I'm all for it. Here's the question. Why? Why do we do that? What's the end game? Are, are we to, to, to read this text as some have? Say, see, Jesus was just a social liberator. It's what we're, the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to be a blessing to the world. We're supposed to deal with the, the, the deplorable situations in which they find themselves. Here's my question. How does that set us apart then from, say, Greenpeace, Save the Children, Make-A-Wish, the Red Cross, Doctors Without Borders, the United Nations, the United Way, and Brangelina? And, and is that enough? Meaning, if we do that... Have we fulfilled our mission? There are lots of things the church could be doing, good things. But are those things the mission of the church? Are we to, is our mission social transformation? Are we supposed to be involved in all of these things? And if you've been at the church for a period of time, you know that we're involved in some of them. And one author Suggested very astutely, I think, if everything is mission, nothing is mission. And then we read all of the books out there that are really popular. Like, they like Jesus, but not the church. Right? They like Jesus, they just can't stand Christians. Or, uh, life after church. <laughs> or, dear church. Or, quitting the church. Now, or... So you don't want to go to church anymore. Or the gospel according to Starbucks. And they all basically say the same thing, a couple of things. But for our purposes, this is what they say. Church is not making the world a better place. Look around. We're not making the world a better place by addressing social issues. You're missing. So forget you. I'm out. One author went so far as to say, 
the church should not have an evangelism strategy. It should have a blessing strategy. The church should be about global and community transformation. Is that what we are supposed to be doing? Again, I am not opposed. I am not opposed to the church doing good things. And I am suggesting that largely we have, I don't know very many churches who have not had some kind of positive impact on their community. You know, providing coats and food pantries and, 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 and school books and supplies and stuff. Yes! The church does that, but we're back to the question, what is the mission of the church? Does the scripture provide any direction? Yes, of course, it does. You understand that the storyline of the Bible is the story of God. Storyline of the Bible is God redeeming rebellious, sinful people. The, the entire Bible follows that storyline, that trajectory of creation. Really good, of fall, really bad, of redemption, and ultimate consummation when all these social ills will be dealt with. Every, everything about God's, everything is about God's action to redeem his people for his glory. And so, and so I am suggesting that everything points to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the apex of history, which is God's ultimate plan to redeem rebellious sinners like you and me. And I'm going to define then this word gospel as the good news that God sent his son, Jesus, to bear the sins of his people on the cross, die in their place, and be raised again the third day as proof that his work was accepted by God and a guarantee of our future resurrection. That is those who believe these truths. Now, many want to suggest that that too narrowly defines the gospel, that it leaves out the promises of the gospel. And I'm, I guess I'm fine with that qualification. Certainly the gospel promises an eternal life to come where there will be, listen to me, the, an eternal life to come where there will be no more poverty or racism or disease or hunger or pain or sorrow. And, and, and that's wonderful. And there's a sense in which the church um, offers that in part to, to people today but only as a foretaste of that which is to come. And then we are supposed to let them know, and it only comes to God's redeemed people through the finished work of Christ on his cross. And so, listen to me, I want to say this very clearly. If we engage in mercy and justice work, if we engage in mercy and justice work and leave the gospel behind, we're missing it. Let me say it this way. Paul defines this gospel for us in 1 Corinthians 15 with two propositions and two proofs. Look at it with me. Let's look at the text. So I make, now I make known to you, brothers, sisters, the gospel, here it is, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved from your deplorable condition, if you hold fast. The word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you. Here it is. Here's the gospel. Here's, here it is. As of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. 
So, so, so from this, here are the two propositions. First, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And second, after dying, he was raised again accord, on the third day according to the scripture. And here are the two proofs of those propositions. He was buried. That's proof that he was actually dead, regardless of what you heard. He died, and he was seen by Peter and the twelve, and actually by hundreds of others. And that's proof that he was raised from the dead. And that, my brothers and sisters, Paul says, is the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus died for sinners, bearing our sins in his body on the cross. He was raised again the third day. I want you to understand that that was his mission. Jesus said that's why he came. Do a little study in the gospels. They tell us why why Jesus came, what his mission was. The authors, all of them, say things like he came to preach. He came to call sinners. He came to give life, uh, his life, a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save the, the lost. That was his mission. In fact, I will go one step further. It is interesting to note, nowhere in the New Testament does it say that Jesus went to a specific town to improve their physical condition. Did you know that? He does not go to feed the hungry. He does not go to heal the sick. He does not go to drive out demons. Oh, most assuredly, he did those things, and those, in fact, were good things. But he did those in process of fulfilling his mission. They augmented, they supported his mission. Yes, of course, Jesus had compassion on hungry, hurting people, and he did something about their plight, and so should we, inasmuch as we love people. Yes, it's inasmuch as it augments and supports our mission. Even that Isaiah 61 passage that people like to quote, that Jesus quoted in Luke chapter 4, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's the emphasis. And by the way, you might be interested to know then that Jesus had a mission and we have a mission and our mission is not the same as Jesus. Some confusion about that today. I think we understand that. Obviously, we can't die for the sins of people. That was his primary mission. But, but what mission then did Jesus leave uh, us? Did he, did he leave us one? Yes. Over and over through the Gospels and the book of Acts, he left us a mission. Through the New Testament epistles, we see this mission being referenced and carried out. After Jesus' resurrection, as he was returning to heaven, he left some very specific instructions, a mission for his disciples. You see, as it was his mission to die for the sins of rebellious people, it is our mission to proclaim his death for the forgiveness of sins of rebellious people. His mission was passion. Our mission is proclamation. Consider Matthew 28. Verse 18 to 20. I know. We're so familiar with this. We've forgotten it. Jesus came up and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, All authority has been given me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, very, very familiar, but don't miss it. I know this isn't rocket science. We're back to the question, has the church lost its understanding of this mission? He gave it to us. It's clear as can be. This 
this command to us is, has one main verb. Christ's command is to his followers as he left was this. Make disciples. That is the mission of the church. Make disciples. Are we doing that? How, how, how do we do it? He gives us three participles that support the command to make disciples. In your, it's going, baptizing, and teaching. In your going, proclaim the, the good news of what I have done for them. And when they believe, then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But, but even then, you're not done yet. The completed mission is to teach them. All that I have commanded. In other words, we proclaim the gospel, and when they believe, we disciple them. That's our mission. The mission of the church is to make disciples as we go, wherever we go, proclaiming his work and teaching them then to obey. His mission, again, was his passion. That is his suffering for the sins of humanity. Ours is proclamation of that passion. It is that simple and in, in as much as there are other very, very good things that, that we can do to promote missions, to the, the mission and, and help people, we should do that. But you do understand that helping people through social justice, helping people through social justice without the proclamation of the gospel is not our mission. It's not our mission. And at the end of all things, that is ultimately meaningless. Improving someone's lifestyle as we send them to hell is ultimately not helpful. And conversely, no one becomes a Christian because, no, listen, no one becomes a Christian because we improve their life's situation. They become Christians through belief and trust in the proclamation of the gospel. Please understand, it takes a proclamation of the gospel. No one, I've said this before, no one ever becomes a Christian because you're a really, really good guy. It takes an understanding of the truths about Christ, which means we've got to open our mouths, that saying, uh, uh, preach the gospel every day, and if necessary, um, use words is absolutely moronic. It is stupid. And it gives us a pass. I can just live a good life. And that's for completing the mission. No, it isn't. Someone sent to me after the last service. He has a friend who, Mark Valentine actually said to me, he has a friend who says, that's like saying, give me a call, but don't use numbers. Proclamation of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for rebellious sin. Sinners like you and me, we need to be making disciples. Have we lost the mission? We lost it. Keep going. Jesus said in Mark's gospel, he's getting ready to go to the cross. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. It's a mission. Luke 24, he said to the two on the road to Emmaus, written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance 
for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are, you are witnesses of these things. I'm sending you forth. Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit upon you. And so you stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that came on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and they went out to complete the mission. Everyone agrees the last words of Jesus repeated in the gospel and in the book of Acts are Christ's marching orders to us. This is clearly the mission of the church. In fact, the church has come to call it the Great Commission. In fact, I would say this, we have to leave the Bible behind if we want to leave the mission behind, which is exactly what people do. Let's leave the Bible because I don't want to be the mission. A couple more verses. John 20, 21, after the resurrection, after he had completed his own mission, he said to his disciples, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus was sent with a mission to die for the sins of people. We have been sent with a mission to proclaim the good news to rebellious people. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we see Jesus' words to his disciples right before, right before he disappeared, right before his ascension. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you, and you is in the emphatic in the Greek, you, I have no other plan. You will be, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even in the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. The very last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven was the mission. You will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And the rest of the book of Acts records just that. In fact, Authors Kevin DeYoung, Pastor Kevin DeYoung, and author Greg Gilbert in their book, What is the Mission of the Church, write these insightful words. If you are looking for a picture of the early church giving itself, if you're looking for a picture of the early church giving itself to creation care, stewardship, plans for societal renewal, and strategies to serve the community in Jesus' name, you won't find them in the book of Acts. But if you are looking for preaching, teaching, and the centrality of the word, this is your book. I agree. Acts 1 to 7, we find the gospel spreading throughout Jerusalem, Judea. Acts 8 to 12, from Judea, then into Samaria. And from chapter 13 to the end of the book, it begins its spread around the word through the verbal proclamation of the gospel. In fact, the last verses of Acts. 28, very last two verses of the book, say this. And he, Paul, stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. The book ends as it began. You go preach the gospel. We get to the last verse. He's preaching the gospel. The mission was being fulfilled. And as you read the end of the book of Acts, it doesn't sound like it's at the end. In fact, some suggest that Acts 28 is not the end of the story, that we, you and I, brothers and sisters, are living in Acts 29. <laughs> and the mission of the church remains to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to rebellious sinners to all nations and invite them to believe. This is the mission of the church. Again, again to quote the young and Gilbert, the mission, you might want to, this is really good. I was going to say you might want to write it down, you won't have time. The mission of the church 
is to go into the world. Go into the world. That's why Jesus prayed in, in John 17. I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but you protect them in it. Because we're not supposed to be hiding behind our walls and underneath steeples in protection mode. We go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship the Lord and obey His commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. That is really, really good. Everything we do is ultimately for the purpose of completing this mission, making disciples. To quote De Young and another author, Clock, I think he left Clock and went with Gilbert. We are not just out to refurbish some morals or intervene in global crises. We want to live like Christ, show people Christ, and make a difference for Christ, but also call people to renounce the rebellion against God, to flee worldliness, and be ready to meet the king when he returns to finally establish his kingdom. Amen. Hallelujah. This is what our mission, I told you we have a mission statement here at ABF because everybody does. Here's what our mission statement says. We are called, we are called by the grace of God, for the glory of God, to become ourselves and to multiply ourselves as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is what we are about. Everything that we do is about becoming and multiplying followers, disciples. Which brings us to a building, <laughs> right? A, a, a building. I wanted to ask and answer the question, right? What is the church? When we're being told we don't need the church anymore, Starbucks church is enough. When we're being told we don't, we don't need the mission anymore, we can do a new mission. What is the mission of the church? I want you to understand this is ultimately the reason that we are seeking to complete a building. I want you to understand that that is not the end. It is simply a tool to help us complete the mission. Now, we're going to talk more about that next week, how a building actually serves as a tool to build disciples. And, and I want you to get this, okay? The responsibility to make disciples through this proclamation and discipleship, the responsibility to make disciples through proclamation and discipleship is not just the duty of the paid professionals. It is the job, it is the mission of the church. It's our, it's our, it's our job. It's on every one of you. If you know Christ, it's on your job description. Purpose. Make disciples. How you doing? How do we do that? What in the world is a disciple? How do we know if we're making disciples? How, how do we complete the mission? I'm going to be talking next week, Lord willing, about the saints' responsibility to do the works of service as we pursue the mission next week. Now, as, as we close this morning, I want to go back to that opening illustration for just, just a moment. I want to talk to you as a pastor. I'm really disappointed about the weather today because we have like half the people we normally have here today. But God's sovereign and I trust Him. And I want to talk to you from this pastor's heart 
be yours. Have we circled the wagons? Over the past few years, we have seen some changes and indeed some challenges as a church. For example, and this is just one example, we've gone through some significant staff transitions. And I want you to know that those have not been easy. And there's a sense in which I have sensed that we have circled, we've circled the wagons. We went into kind of defensive self-protection mode. But I also want to say to you that God has been faithful to bring us through those challenges. We replaced some, we had some big shoes to fill. And we replaced staff positions with great people. Not, not that the staff is the church. We, we, we are not. We are all the church with the same job description. We are all to be about the mission. Again, I'll talk about that next week. But, but I want you to know, as one of your pastors, that I am not content. I am not content with the status quo. I am not interested in staying immobile. I am sick and tired of being defensive. I, 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 I'm tired of us being circled up for protection, huddled up in a holy huddle no longer, not interested. I am asking us, the church, to get moving. To focus with all of our passions and energies on advancing against the very gates of hell. Of following Jesus uh, and allowing Jesus through us to build his church. I'm in. And I hope that you are. Let's stand and pray. Father, we have, over the last couple of weeks, covered two very important topics. What is the church? And people today are saying don't really need it. What is the mission of the church? When I think we've lost it. We've started focusing on some really good things. But we've lost the best thing. And I believe that you are calling us as a church to focus on the mission. To be about seeing people, rebellious sinners, made disciples, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. clothed us from on high with the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for ignoring him. Forgive us for quenching the spirit. Forgive us for living our own lives. Forgive us for focusing on good things. Help us to focus on that which you've left us to do. I pray this in Christ's name.